Hello and good afternoon from a still very chilly but warming up Tyler, Texas. We have had a few cold days right around Christmas time, which was kind of nice actually. And uh, today it's finally into the 40s, which for us is uh, still a little cool. And um, of course it's Texas, and so that means in a couple of days it'll be 70 degrees. So there you go. I hope you are warm and safe and that you had a wonderful Christmas weekend. Uh, we enjoyed being with family, our daughter and son-in-law and grandson from Arlington, Texas. We're here, got to do a little bit of uh, FaceTiming with our daughter and her family in Maryland. And so that was nice, and I hope you were with loved ones as well. Uh, yes, it's the last week of the year, and that means we are finishing out our study of F. Lagarde Smith's The Daily Bible in Chronological Order. Hope you've enjoyed that this year, and even if you haven't read along with us every day, uh, I hope that you have uh, been able to be helped and encouraged and learned a few things perhaps along the way as we went through his studies in our Tuesday and Thursday Facebook Bible study. And yes, I am planning on continuing this in 2023, which starts next week, this coming Sunday officially. Our classes next Tuesday and Thursday are going to be in a new study. Um, I've never done this before, but I want us to go through a couple of uh, daily devotionals, not daily Bible reading, although each devotional has scripture in it. And so you won't be reading through the Bible, but you will be reading the Bible every day if you use one of those daily devotionals. And I am going to be using a, a classic by Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. It's a great title and a, a very well-known and popular uh, classic uh, daily devotional that I'm looking forward to reading through again. It's been several, several years since I did. And also, um, I'm going to be using uh, one that I've never read before, Tim and Kathy Keller's uh, devotional book, The Songs of Jesus, A Year of Daily Devotions in the Psalms. So it's geared towards the Psalms, but also from the perspective of Jesus. And so I'm really looking forward to that. As, I, as I've told you, I've used the, uh, the great devotional book, The Uncommon Life uh, Challenge by uh, Tony Dungy and also Sarah Young's wonderful little book, Jesus Calling, and many other great devotional, daily devotional books out there. I encourage you to use one. Find one that speaks to you, that helps you, and, um, and, and do that. It's, uh, if you're reading through the Bible in 2023, I encourage you to use F. Lagarde Smith's The Daily Bible in Chronological Order, the best daily Bible reading guide that I have ever found and used. And I've enjoyed going through that again this year and working with you throughout the Facebook studies. Joyce has read through the Bible this year using that. And, um, and so that's been a great thing for us to be able to chit chat about the week's reading as we went through uh, each week. Um, Today, uh, actually on Thursday, we will be finishing up. It'll be, of course, the book of Revelation. And I'm looking forward to that study. That's a glorious study. I'll give you a little hint. My favorite commentary on the book of Revelation, we win. <laughs> Two simple words. And uh, But we'll be looking at that great, great study book, that great, great encouraging book to those who are suffering, um, the book of Revelation, the Revelation of, of John. And uh, today, however, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews and in the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I love both of those studies. In fact, I'm a little tempted to use Hebrews as a Facebook study sometime and just go through it uh, the whole way. I've done that several times before in classes and series, and I think it works great with a Facebook series, works great with a Bible class study, and that may be my study uh, this coming fall and spring. But right now, on Wednesday nights, uh, we're work, working through the, the books of Luke, the volume one, the Gospel of Luke, and volume two, the book of Acts. We're, of course, in the book of Acts right now in our Wednesday night study that we will be meeting tomorrow evening in our chapel. And I look forward to studying about that Ethiopian treasurer, the eunuch in the King James Version, uh, who uh, was uh, converted by, uh, really, by his reading from Isaiah 53 and then the the application and the teaching uh, of Jesus uh, from Philip, and uh, and he was baptized there in uh, Samaria. So it was a great, uh, that'll be a great, great study Wednesday night. Uh, but 
today we're in uh, the letters of John and Hebrews, and let's start with Hebrews. Hebrews is a great, great book. We don't know who wrote it. Uh, I think it was um, Augustine or someone who said God only knows certainly who wrote Hebrews. Some say Paul. I think that's possible. I, I think there's a lot of inconsistencies with that. Um, some say it was uh, Apollos. I think that's a, a good suggestion. Some have said perhaps Aquila and Priscilla uh, together wrote it. Uh, others have had many other suggestions, such as Luke and others. Uh, but uh, we don't know. And so I, I, I know the Holy Spirit inspired whoever wrote it. And the book of Hebrews, the context of it is written to uh, Jewish Christians who are being persecuted. A lot of the New Testament, as you know, having read through it this year, uh, the last uh, several weeks, a lot of the New Testament is written to Christians who were suffering, who were being persecuted simply because of their faith. And that is certainly true of those that receive the book of Hebrews. It's just like it's, it's the title says, it's written to Hebrew Christians, Christians from a Jewish background who gave up Judaism and accepted uh, uh, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and Messiah. And, and now their lives have been very difficult because of that. And so they're thinking really of, of chucking it all and going back to Judaism. Why put up with all of this trouble that I didn't have before and that I wouldn't have if I stopped confessing Jesus Christ? And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to that exact situation. And uh, my question to you and to myself today is, what would, what would we tell someone who is thinking of giving up on the faith? What exactly would you tell them? Uh, and what, what would help you if you were thinking, you know, this just isn't worth it. I'm tired of this. It's brought me nothing but harm. I, I'm, I, it's not helping me. I'm, I'm going to give up on my Christian faith. What would you tell them? Well, the book of Hebrews is written in that exact uh, specific call. And so as we, as we think about that, I think there is uh, one of the things we have to say, of course, is the book of Hebrews is focused on those who come from a Jewish background and are thinking of giving up their Christian faith. So that is a little bit different, perhaps, than someone that would be uh, come from a non-Jewish or Gentile perspective, but it's still very, very valuable, and it's still a call to Christians to not give up, to hold on. And the main reason is this, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. The priesthood is better. The covenant is better. The promises are better. Everything is better under the new covenant of Jesus Christ. Why would you give up on that? Uh, remember that story in John chapter 6 when Jesus was preaching that very difficult message and he started with a big crowd and everybody ultimately left except his 12 apostles. And he looked around and he saw them and he asked, you guys going to leave me too? And, and Peter said, uh, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have come to believe that you are uh, the Christ and the Messiah. And I think that's our response too. You know, where would you go? If you leave Christ, if you leave Scripture, if you leave the church, where do you go? Where do you go that can offer what Jesus can give? Only Jesus can give salvation. Only Jesus can give that uh, sense of joy in life, no matter what the circumstances are and the conditions are. He can still give you an inner foundation of hope and peace and even joy. And so let's take a look at this great book. Let's start with chapter 1, verse 1. Hebrews, like the book of Romans and the book of John, those three, they all start off in a big bang. And as we're going to see in the book of First John, John starts out there in a great way as well. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance or image of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. It's such an incredible start. It recognizes, first of all, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, it affirms all of those who came before uh, the writer of Hebrews, all of those who wrote those great books that we call the Old Testament. 
and how God had spoken to his people in lots of different ways and through lots of different people. But now he says, in these last days, and again, just like we saw last week uh, in uh, the, uh, the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, uh, we are in the last days. We have been in them for almost 2,000 years uh, since uh, the beginning of the church in the first century. And the writer of Hebrews uh, affirms that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, by Jesus Christ. Not through all those prophets. We, he still speaks to us through them as we read the Bible. But the ultimate authority today is, the, is Jesus Christ, the son of God. And the inspired word of the New Testament that he gave to us uh, through his apostles and a few others. Uh, and he says the son is creator. He is sustainer. He created the universe. He sustains the universe by his word. And he is the image of God. He is the exact representation of the father. Jesus told Philip, look, when Philip asked, show us the father, that'll be enough. Jesus said, Philip, has I, have I been with you so long and still you don't realize it? Uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And what a great, great statement. After he made purification for sins, and the Jews would understand that exact language, and it's a precursor to everything that's going to follow. Because there's a lot of Old Testament language in the book of Hebrews. There's a lot of language about sacrifice and purity and uh, cleanliness, uh, ceremonial cleanliness. And here's the first look. Jesus, after he had made purification for sins, and that takes blood. And, he, and the writer of Hebrews is going to make it very clear that it was his own blood that he took to heaven with him. After he made purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus went to the ultimate holy of holies, and we're going to see that again. Not a copy, not a shadow like the Jews had here in the temple or in the tabernacle, but actually the ultimate holy of holies, the very throne room of God. And it wasn't the blood of an animal, of a lamb or a goat or a calf. It was actually his own blood that he came and he sprinkled before the Father and he made purification for your sins and mine. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. What a great opening in the book of Hebrews. And then from here on out, he just talks one thing after another of how Jesus is better. Jesus is better in chapter 1 than the angels. Uh, and uh, there's that great verse that talks about how you need to be willing to uh, consider that uh, the angels are ministering spirits, verse 14, uh, sent to serve us who will inherit salvation. Jesus is superior to the angels, better than the angels. In uh, chapter 3, he talks about how Jesus is better than Moses. Uh, again, the old covenant doesn't hold a candle to the new covenant. And even the great lawgiver Moses uh, cannot compare with the Savior, Jesus. It's a better priesthood and a better priest. Uh, throughout much of these middle chapters, he talks about the priest and the priesthood of the Old Testament. He talks about the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the covenant of the Old Testament. He compares them with the new. And again, Jesus is better. In chapter 7, he talks a little bit about this very mysterious, very interesting character uh, from uh, Genesis chapter 14. Um, Melchizedek, who Dr. John Willis of Abilene Christian University affectionately would refer to as Mel. <laughs> I love that. Well, Mel Melchizedek pops on the scene, and uh, the Old Testament even refers to him and says, without father or mother, but actually he had parents, of course. It's just not written in the Bible. He pops in on the scene in the days of Abraham, and then he pops out, and that's it. And he's referred to later uh, in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms, but and then finally in the book of, of Hebrews. But uh, it's interesting how uh, Jesus is better, the priesthood is better, and the writer of Hebrews applies the scriptures uh, from the Old Testament that refer uh, to Mel and refer to Jesus Christ uh, in um, Psalm 110. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. And when you consider Jesus a priest, you realize you, you got a problem because the priests all descended from Aaron. 
in fact, John the Baptist was a descendant of Aaron. His parents, uh, and we told this story Sunday morning on Christmas morning in the sermon, how his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were both descended, not just from Levi, but from Aaron. And his father, Zechariah, received that visit from the angel Gabriel while he was on duty as a priest in the temple. Um, but Jesus was not descended from Aaron. He was not descended from the tribe of Levi. He was descended from the tribe of Judah, which was not the priestly tribe, but the royal tribe. King David was descended from Judah, and Jesus was a descendant of King David. And so how do you do that? Well, he's not a priest in the order of Aaron. He's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, again, that interesting story in Genesis 14 when Abraham is coming back from victorious battles and he, we find this very uh, unusual character, Melchizedek. And Abraham comes and he gives him a tithe. He gives him 10% of, of what he had, uh, the, the spoils of war that he had come back with. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And, and the writer of Hebrews makes the important point that the greater blesses the lesser. And so Melchizedek blessing Abraham means he was greater than Abraham. Uh, the lesser gives a, a gift, a contribution to the greater, just like we contribute to the Lord every Sunday. Um, Abraham contributed to Melchizedek, and the writer of Hebrews makes that point. And he's saying that um, Aaron, uh, the descendant of Levi, uh, was actually worshiping uh, uh, at that time through his ancestor, Abraham. And Jesus uh, was on the scene through uh, his symbolic ancestor, Mel, Melchizedek, because Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so he was priest of Salem, probably Jerusalem area, very ancient times. Remember, Abraham lived 2,000 years before Christ. And so there, that's a very interesting story, and the writer of Hebrews uses it as a part of his argument of how Jesus is better, the priesthood is better. Jesus is a better priest, and he's going to talk about how he's a better high priest because the sacrifice is so much better. Uh, the Old Testament demonstrated that the priests had to make sacrifices regularly for the people. Even on the Day of, the, of Atonement, the Yom Kippur, that uh, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, and offer up the blood of the sacrifice once a year for the sins of himself and for all the people. Uh, but the writer of Hebrews makes it a very important point that that's not what Jesus had to do. Jesus brought his own blood, and it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats, which can never take away sin, but rather it was his own blood, and he offered it not once a year, but once for all. That statement, as we'll see, is written several times in the book of Hebrews. When uh, the writer of Hebrews starts talking about covenant, he brings up Jeremiah 31. And that's really his sermon text. Hebrew is a book of about two or three or four sermons. One of them, the text is Jeremiah 31. And he's talking about that. And again, in those middle chapters, chapters 8, 9, and 10, and he, he brings up what Jeremiah says in chapter 31 towards the end of the chapter when he says, I will make a new covenant with my people. It won't be like the covenant that they have. Uh, because they broke that covenant. But I will write my law in their hearts and on their minds. I will be their God. They will be my people. And I will forgive their sins and their wickedness. I'll remember no more. It's an incredible promise that was never fulfilled under the old law. The old law had sacrifices that could appease God until the right one came, the perfect sacrifice, and that was his own son. Um, and, and so that sacrifice is even better. Uh, let's read a little bit out of that passage that talks about the sacrifice and the priesthood and all of that. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 24. <clears throat> Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Many of us memorized Hebrews 9.27 in our younger days. It is appointed unto man once to die and then comes the judgment. But that's written in the context of how Jesus fulfilled that. He too became human. He too uh, died once and he too uh, comes not to face judgment but to bring judgment. And it's in that sense that he offered up himself as a sacrifice as that scripture says once for all and took the blood not of the animals but his own blood uh, to the ultimate most holy place not here on earth but heaven itself uh, chapter 10 speaks so much of that in the first half of that contrasting the old law and the new law the old covenant the new covenant the old sacrifice the new sacrifice the old priesthood the new priesthood the great high priest jesus christ and these words in chapter 10 of hebrews beginning at verse 11 Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, speaking of Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, fulfilling Psalm 110. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is a covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. All quoting uh, Jeremiah 31. And then Hebrews 10 verse 18 says this, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus once for all, he doesn't have to sacrifice anymore and we don't sacrifice. But we remember the words of Romans chapter 12 that says, Therefore, in view of all these wonderful mercies of salvation that comes and righteousness of God that comes by grace through faith. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, let us offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. There's nothing we can do to take away our sin, but Jesus sacrificed once for all, and his blood does that. And so in response, what do we do? Well, we just obey what he told us to do in Luke 9. Deny yourself, take up your cross every day, and follow me. That's what we seek to do in light of this great salvation and this great sacrifice that Jesus has made. So let's read some of the words of exhortation in the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews refers to this book as exactly that in chapter 13 when he says, I'm glad, hope you are, have been able to bear with my word of exhortation, 13 chapters. Um, but listen to this passage in Hebrews 2, starting in verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. One of the great arguments that the writer of Hebrews makes is called the Calva-Homer argument. I don't know much foreign language, but... The Calvahoma argument is from the least to lesser to the greater. And what he does here, this is an example of that. We see several in the book of Hebrews where he says, look, if, if God's uh, commandments were to be kept uh, under the old, how much more should they be kept under the new? Because now we have such a, an even great, greater salvation uh, and all of these things. And so the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect this great salvation. Uh, later on in chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, love this passage. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. 
For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus didn't come for angels, he came for humans. And he came for us to redeem us from our sins. And to do that, he had to be made like us in every way. And that means he had to face temptation. But he did it having never sinned. And so he became our merciful and faithful high priest. A great, great passage there in Hebrews uh, chapter 2. Skipping down to Hebrews chapter 3, these great words in chapter 3 beginning at verse 12. Hebrews 3, verse 12, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. We've seen it throughout the New Testament that there is a strong warning in Scripture against falling away. It's, it's quite possible to fall away from God's salvation, to be saved and then to lose that salvation. Doesn't mean that we're paranoid, but the New Testament is written, the book of Hebrews is written, to warn against those who would turn their backs on this salvation that they had received. Much in the book of Hebrews about that, including this passage, so much so that it says, let's encourage each other every day because we need it. Uh, Hebrews 10 is going to say, let's encourage each other every time we get together for worship in the assembly on Sunday mornings. Um, And we can do that uh, throughout the week as well. Uh, We continue reading in chapter 4. There is a passage about the great Sabbath rest that's still ahead. Joshua didn't bring them into the Sabbath rest, the ultimate Sabbath rest, when they crossed the Jordan River and entered the promised land. Um, But we look forward to that promised rest. Chapters 5 and 6 speak again against falling away, uh, warning them to to maintain their uh, study of Scripture. In fact, uh, verse 14 of chapter 5 says, Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I love that phrase. Uh, who by constant use, they, you have wrestled with the scripture, you've used it constantly so that you're not just uh, feeding on the milk of the word, but you've matured in your faith. And now you are uh, studying it to the extent that it is solid food and no longer uh, milk. We go forward to chapter 10 and this great passage that calls us uh, to encourage each other to not fall away, encourage each other to continue in the faith. In Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19, Hebrews 10, 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, very symbolic language of the most holy place and the curtain that divided it and the the altar there, uh, the sacrifices that were brought there. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Why is it important that we go to church, as the saying is? Because we need it. And there are people there who need us to encourage them so that we do not fall away, so that we can hold unswervingly to that hope that we profess, so that we can spur one another on toward deeds of love, uh, good deeds that help and serve others. Uh, And that happens in our worship assembly. And that's why verse 25 says, don't give up meeting together. Don't give up going to church. Don't give up staying connected to the body of Christ, his church. Uh, Because you need that encouragement. 
and others need your encouragement, encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Well, you know from chapter 10, he speaks about he speaks about falling away at the end of chapter 10 and being faithful. We're not of those who shrink away, but we're the ones who hold fast to faith. He quotes Habakkuk 2, the righteous will live by faith. And, and that's what we are called to do, and that's why we need each other's encouragement. And then in chapter 11, you know Hebrews 11 is the great faith chapter. 1 Corinthians 14, the resurrection chapter. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. But Hebrews chapter 11 is the great faith chapter, telling us so many wonderful stories of what so many characters in the Old Testament did by faith. And he begins with a definition. Hebrews 11 verse 1, Now faith is confidence in, what we, in which we hope for, in what we hope for, and the assurance about what we do not see. Paul himself said, as you remember in Romans chapter 8, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have, but we hope for what we do not yet have. And in the same way, we believe we have faith and assurance in what we hope for, what we haven't received yet. But it is uh, with great assurance that we do that. How serious is it? Well, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is essential. You can't go forward without it. That belief in Jesus Christ, that faith and trust in the God who has made all these promises in chapter 13, he is going to say Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. These promises are like an anchor for our soul, the book of Hebrews says. And so throughout chapter 11, he has example after example. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, uh, Moses, Moses' parents, on and on and on he goes. And he lists them all. And he says, these were commended for their faith. They were looking forward to a city not built by human hands, but whose builder and maker is God. And it's a great, great chapter Hebrews chapter 11, and then in chapter 12, if I were editing the Bible and deciding which chapters started and ended, I would include the first three verses of Hebrews 12 at the end of chapter 11, because I think the last and greatest example of someone who lived by faith that the writer of Hebrews gives us is Jesus Christ himself. Hebrews 12 verse, verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The whole purpose of the book of Hebrews is so that its hearers will not grow weary and lose heart. And the way to do that is to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. He is the one who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame and now is at the right hand of the Father in the throne room of heaven, waiting for that time, preparing that place for us. The world doesn't understand that. How can you have joy when you're enduring such great suffering, when you're being shamed in such a humiliating and horrible way? But it was because of the joy that Jesus had inside that he was able to do that. And that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us as well, especially his hearers who were seeing some horrible things being done to them and to those that they love and to the church around the world, the known world of the Roman Empire at the time. And it would be another couple of hundred years, 300 years or so before that let up, if you can imagine that. The first, the early church was persecuted longer than the United States has even existed as a nation. It's hard to understand, it's hard to fathom, but that's how long their suffering and their persecution was. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What a great, great statement.
there's so much more in the book of Hebrews that we could talk about and so many other great passages, the, the, the living word of God that the writer of Hebrews talks about, the Bible uh, that is like a surgeon's scalpel uh, cutting through to the very heart of our lives. Um, but let's, let's finish out this study of the book of Hebrews by looking at a few passages at the end of the book. In chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And then Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And this great call in Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Uh, that great definition of worship, indirect worship and direct worship. Indirect worship is those good deeds that verse 16 talks about. Direct worship is verse 15, the fruit of lips that confess his name. What a great passage, Hebrews 13, 15 and 16. And then this final blessing in Hebrews 13 Verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing in him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a great, great statement to end our study of the book of Hebrews on. But let's continue on and take a brief look at the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, we talked about that great prologue in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, lived for a while among us. We beheld his glory, full of grace and truth john says well listen to this entrance in first john chapter one that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked at and our hands have touched this we proclaim concerning the word of life the life appeared we have seen it and testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and has appeared to us we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete, to make your joy complete. It's a great entrance, and it emphasizes that as John writes this, he is an eyewitness of the life and ministry, the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Uh, a huge, huge opening as John uh, begins. We keep reading in the book of 1 John, and really the 1 John, I think the best way to understand 1 John is that it, it is talking about two different streams. One stream are those who are very overconfident in themselves. They don't even think they're sinning, and it's a word of condemnation for them. But the other stream are those who are the opposite. They they, they don't have any kind of assurance of salvation at all. They're paranoid about it. They think they're never going to be saved, and they're trusting in themselves rather than in the one who died for them. And so there's a word of exhortation and uh, assurance to them. Both of those streams are discussed in the book of 1 John, and we see them both very clearly, starting in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Listen to the back and forth between light and darkness, between sin and confession, uh, between hope and salvation and those who have fallen away. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But 
1 John 1, 7, one of the first verses I memorized. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all our sin. We can be confident and assured of our salvation because of the blood of Jesus that purifies us and cleanses us from all of our sin. However, again, the back and forth, verse 8 of 1 John 1, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. The back and forth continues on, but in chapter 2, Sounds very much like Romans 3, Philippians 3, that talk about the righteousness of God that comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, and he knows they will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Sounds much like what he wrote in John 3, 16. Much like what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3. Christ is our atoning sacrifice. Well, again, throughout the book of 1 John, he goes back and forth with this. And he talks about how we need to be careful about being in the world, but not of the world. Just as Jesus had warned him and the others in that upper room that we read about in those last chapters of John before his crucifixion. And so these very familiar words in 1 John 2, beginning in verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Again, Jesus saying, don't fulfill all your desires and, and achieve all the selfish fantasy you can have, but rather deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me to be my disciple. John says the same thing. Don't love the world. Uh, don't love that worldliness. Don't give in to those temptations but rather give in to the will and the word of the Father found in Scripture, John says. We've written this down because it's what we saw and it's what we heard. There's so many calls of warning here. One of the things that John warns about is antichrist. It's, it's a combination word, anti meaning against, and Christ meaning Christ, Messiah, the, the anointed one. But John warns about the Antichrist to the people he's writing to here in 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. And the reason he warns them is because um, they're already there. We read a lot about the Antichrist in 1st John. But listen to what he says in chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. Again, it's the last times. It's the end times. If someone tells you, hey, isn't it the last days? Don't you think you could tell them? Yeah, I think so. It's been that way for 2,000 years, but it's definitely that way now. Um, John, 1 John 2, 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Did you catch that? This was 2,000 years ago. Everyone's worried about the Antichrist. Who is it? Well, uh, well, let's see. Let's recount the last uh, several decades, uh, shall we? Oh, it's Saddam Hussein. No, it's not. It's George Bush. No, it's not. It's Barack Obama. No, it's not. It's Donald Trump. No, it's not. It's Joe Biden. No, it's not. It's Hillary Clinton. It's whoever the political character of the day is that you are thinking about. It's Joseph Stalin. No, it's Vladimir Putin. No, it's whoever you find as an opponent politically, but that's not it at all. The Antichrist is anyone who opposes Christ, and each generation is going to have some. And I think when we talk about Revelation Thursday, that's what we're going to say, is that Revelation is not just talking about one specific fulfillment of evil, but it's talking about how evil is going to always be present, but how the people who follow Christ will always be victorious. 
And I believe that's what he's saying here now. Even now, 1 John 2, 18, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. How could it be any plainer? Verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you, verse 20, have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? 1 John 2, verse 22. It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Please don't get worried when people tell you, oh, the Antichrist is in the world now. You can say, you can quote 1 John chapter 2 and say, yeah, many Antichrists are probably in the world now, just like they were in the Apostle John's day. Because it's the last days. That's how we know. There will be no covenant after this. This is the last of Jesus, of God's working out with humanity. And the Savior has already been offered. The sacrifice has already been made. Uh, he has ascended and taken his blood to the ultimate holy of holies and has purified us from our sins. And when the time is right, he will come and take us to be with him. This same theme continues on in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. 1 John 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Let's do one more verse about um, the Antichrist, and it's found in 2 John, 2 John verse 7. Only one chapter in 2 John. Verse 7, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. And so again, John makes it very clear that there were many out there in his day, and he calls on us to live with a different set of values. And the values that we live by are the values of love. It's the overwhelming message in 1 John, just as it was the overwhelming message in the Gospel of John. 1 John 3, verse 16. Just like John 3, 16 is so special, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 1 John 3:18. Let your love be active. Christian faith is to be an active faith, a helping faith, a serving faith. Don't love with just words, but love in actions and in truth. And then he continues on and he speaks in 1 John chapter 4 about this love. Verse 7, 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Our song, The Greatest Commands, this is one of the passages that that song comes from. This is how God showed his love among us, verse 9. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 1 John 4, verse 11. We think that that sentence should be, since God so loved us, we also ought to love God. But that indicative imperative, God loved us, that's the indicative. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. He just did it. And he gave his son for us. Since he did that, the imperative is, this is the right response. And that right response is to love one another. 
Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. Uh, a great, great statement. Uh, verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And then this great chapter of 1 John 4 ends with these words, starting in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. The call to love is the call to be obedient to the will of God, to love God and to love neighbor as self. And John is forceful in saying, just as Jesus did, you can't love God if you don't love your neighbor, if you don't love your brother or your sister. Uh, the purpose statement in 1 John is found in 1 John 5, verse 13, and it's such an affirming verse. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. My dear friend, you can know that you have eternal life, not because of the good things that you have done, but because of the great thing that God has done. In giving his own son, Jesus Christ, sacrificing him on the cross, you can come to believe in that great sacrifice. Turn from your life of sin, repent, get on a different path. Confess that faith and be baptized into Christ to be raised to walk in a new and different life, a life given over to pleasing God, not perfectly, but faithfully. A life of love, love for God, love for others. John would write later in Second John and Third John, he said, he would say, I have no greater pleasure and no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in faith. That's what God wants of all of us. He wants us to walk in his faith. He wants us to walk in love and he wants us to persevere to the very end. I hope this study of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and this wonderful letter of Hebrews has been a help for you today. I look forward to reading through the book of Revelation over the next few days and chatting with you about that in Thursday's lesson. May the God of peace and joy and love hold you close in the days and in the years ahead. I'll see you on Thursday.